The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Keep or Cut, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Chad, this is a uh, monumental episode for us. This is the big 4-0, isn't it? It is. It is the big 4-0. I, uh, I, you know, I've got, I've got a 40th birthday coming up, so wow. this feels like a like a, it's like a preview. This is this when, is my 40th birthday is going to be like, except with Pete. That's right. When's the big day? In February. It's got a couple okay. months, uh, but we've been. We've been planning a trip, so I'm I'm pretty excited because we're gonna go. It's it falls during my kids' midwinter break week from school, so we are going to uh, Colorado to go skiing for a few days, and then we're going. Oh, sweet! Assume assuming there is a spring training, uh, we are gonna go to the first ever Cleveland Guardians game. So wow, going with that's a monumental family, trip. Some friends, yeah, pretty excited nice. about it. So it should be should be fun. It, that should absolutely be fun, and it really gives us even like extra reason to hope now for this thing to get resolved. And I, there's I been like no traction, but I, I, I was reading that like meeting right now they're not. So they're not the the I believe I, what I read is that like everybody has this understanding that we need four weeks to get ready for a season. So right now it's like a game of chicken, and then once we get closer to that four week timetable, all of a sudden talks are going to really pick up. So hopefully we get you to that Guardians game. I'm hoping. I am hoping. Well, anyway, for today's episode, today's episode is going to focus entirely on that auction, that mock auction. If you've been following Chad, which you should be, the hashtag auto mock that's been going on for weeks. It finally, finally, finally wrapped up. I don't exactly know which, when it wrapped up, like when that official last player went, because I was the second team to finish up. But we've been talking about it for a while. You know, we talked about it two weeks ago on our last episode, episode 39. Now we have the full results. It finally finished, Chad. Yeah, it finished up on Friday. And the crazy thing is when we recorded two weeks ago, we had enough results, like not a lot, but enough to have some takeaways, to have some thoughts on like, oh, this position is deeper than we thought. This position's weaker. What are some good values that are out there? Uh, And yeah, it was Friday. Uh, Friday morning, I woke up and realized a few more auctions had ended and that I could nominate someone. There were there were like four teams left, but only one of those teams could bid. So all I had to do was ping that team and be like, are you bidding on any of those guys? And when they said no, I was like, all right, closing all these auctions, give everyone their next set of nominations. Let's keep it moving. And so we we powered through the last like 15 guys in like 
a few hours Friday morning. Uh, and that was that. Beautiful. I got to say that like it feels like something is missing from my life now that, you know, once every two hours, I'm not going to the same website from 1998 to see if uh, I can put in a bid on a player. <laughs> something is, is definitely missing. So. It is a website that feels like it's from 1998. I, I always joke, so all my mock drafts are either at this site, Couch Managers, and we'll, we'll throw the link in the, the notes so you guys can see the full results, uh, or at Click, Clicky Draft, which is what we used for the Pitcherless mock we did a, back earlier in the offseason. And Couch Managers is like fully functional, all sorts of features, really nicely done from sort of a, a, a usability standpoint. But but looks like it's from the mid nineties <laughs> and clicky draft is beautiful. Like there's this nice draft board. Everything looks really great, but like it literally is just like all you can do is find players and click their names. There's, there's no other functionality there, which maybe isn't necessary. Maybe it doesn't need more functionality, but it, but I just find it sort of funny that you got these two sites. It's like, if you could just get the style of clicky draft <laughs> with the functionality of couch managers, like it'd be the greatest website ever. So a little bit of an unexpected, beautiful breakdown of these two mock websites, but uh, I do have to kind of back up chat here. I mean, the, the usability of this website was pretty awesome. So when you do click on that link and like Chad said, it'll be in the notes of the pod. Um, you can see all sorts of stuff like which players went where, like how much they went for, obviously, but also how much money each team had left over, which, you know, as a, as a now second year new player, I, I kind of find that interesting to see where people would be at if this were a first year. But we're we're going to this is basically a two episode. Uh, this is episode one of a two episode series breaking down this mock. And Chad and I are going to kind of go team by team going through the results um, and and looking at some of the values, having a conversation about different positions and our, our approach and obviously the approach of whatever particular manager we're looking at. Um, and hopefully by the end of these two episodes, we have a pretty complete analysis of of Ot New going into those first year auctions and certainly even leagues left over. I mean, I know I'm looking at myself looking at a lot of the values and thinking to myself like, oh, well, I wasn't going to keep this player in my Ot New league. But having seen him go for this price in this first year mock, maybe I am going to keep him. So I think there's a lot we can pull from here, even even in our leagues that are not in their first year. Yeah, I put up an article at Fangraphs on Thursday, Friday, late this week. Go over to Fangraphs, look for me, um, talking about how I'm going to use this auction and how I would use it for first-year leagues versus how I'm going to use it for existing leagues, the kinds of things that I think are valid to take away from something like this versus the kind of stuff that, like, you know, it's still just one data point, right? It's still just 12 teams managed by a group of mostly – experts, right? People who've either write about auto new, write about fantasy, play a lot of auto new. Um, but it's, you know, I think it's good data points. I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff here, but I do think it's worth keeping in mind that like, we are all fallible human beings who are <laughs> subject to lots of biases and mistakes. And so um, you don't want to assume that, oh, Chad paid $35 for Matt Olson. That's what he's worth. Uh, there's you just got to be a little bit more little bit little bit of a grain of salt with it but it's i do think it's some really interesting really interesting information that we don't have anywhere else right now yeah it definitely is and and i i kind of enjoyed being a pioneer on on this endeavor and that article everyone is titled how to interpret a mock auction up on Fangraphs." so check out chad's work and, and you know definitely don't look at me spending 62 dollars on vlad and 
think that that is definitely what you should be paying. So Chad, let's uh, let's dive in here and let's actually start with your team. I'm just going to kind of give you the reins, break it down for us. Favorite values? What'd you think? How'd you end up? You know, I think I ended up. Uh, I think I ended up okay. Um, there's things I like about my team, things I don't. Which uh, coming out of a first year draft is is pretty common. Like coming out of a when I go into a draft for a year five, like I've spent the second half of the season getting my team set up. I've made trades in the off season. Like if I walk out of a draft in year five, not feeling really good about my team, I'm concerned. First year draft is such a, it's so such chaos, right? You got 480 players. You, get, you, you start off with like, I need to get 40 guys at an average of $10 each. And like, I have no idea what I need. So I, I, I expect a little bit more, I expect more mixed results. And that's, that's where I ended up. I, I think, you know, th- there's a couple of things I'm really happy with. There's a couple of things I'm, I'm less happy with. I think I did a nice job of finding some good values late in the draft. Um, I'm very happy with an $8 O'Neill cruise. Uh, I think he's more like a $15 guy and, and, and maybe that's a little much to pay for him because he hasn't proven it yet, but I'm very, like, I think I'm gonna get great results out of him. Uh, and I paired him with Jeff McNeil. So if you look at my middle infield, um, I paid up for Brandon Lau and Francisco Lindor. And so I've got those two guys locked in, second base, shortstop, great. Then I spent a total of $14 between Cruz and McNeil. And I like both of those guys. And I think it's very possible, maybe even likely, that they don't both return the value I spent on them, right? Like, Cruz could fall on his face. McNeil was bad last year and may not bounce back. But I'll bet you one of the two is worth the $14 I spent on the two of them. And if I, between those two, get a $14 middle infielder, like I, I'm feeling really good about that. I think strategically, it's a nice way to build a middle infield where I've got a couple of st- solid guys, two guys that I made a bet on where I think they could easily pay off. Um I need a little more depth at middle infield, but I think I can deal with that as the season goes on. Once I figure out which of those two guys is going to hold strong or if they both do, which, which could happen. Um, I'm also, I'm real happy with a $4 Alex Wood. Projections are very positive, very, very positive on Alex Wood. Um, Justin Vibber, who's one of the guys who participated in the draft and is, is best known as the creator of the surplus calculator, creates values early in the offseason based on steamer projections. I do the same. Alex Wood's steamer projections show up as like uh, anywhere from like a $15 to $18 value, depending on how you um, how you calculate your dollar values, right? Because you know there's a lot of assumptions that go into creating these values, which can move things around. But I got them for four bucks. And that's a that's a real nice piece to have in your rotation, and he doesn't need to be my ace. He's not my number one, right? So I, I'm sitting here with a rotation where I've got Scherzer, I've got McCullers, I've got Trevor Rogers, I've got Zach Gallen, and then I've got guys like Jordan Montgomery for four bucks, this four dollar Alex Wood, and some risks in there too with Denelson Lamette, Drew Rasmussen, Andrew Haney. But like when when my six and seven are Wood and, uh, or sorry, my five and six are, are Wood and Jordan Montgomery. Like, that's a pretty good place to be. Those are pretty strong guys. So that, that's where I feel like I got some good values. Well, I, I just, I think a breakdown of these two players is actually going to be super helpful. And and I wanted to start with Anil Cruz, but 
I was looking up Alex Wood while you were talking about him, and I actually decided I want to start there because Alex Wood traditionally, I, I think, of kind of like a middle-of-the-road strikeout pitcher, but clearly he made a little bit of an adjustment last year, and that K rate w- jumped up to a career-high 26%. And I think him returning value on those $4, he doesn't have to be at 26%, but if he stays there, I think he's going to far exceed the $4. So, I mean, I have to ask, if Alex Wood did not return to the Giants, where clearly he's made some adjustments, the coaching is good, the the park is good. This has come up now, I think, on in three episodes in a row. But you and I are some, some big Giants fans here. Would you have been as in on him? I, I think at $4, I would have been, right? Sure. I, I don't think... because. Here's the thing about coaching is like you get to take some of it with you, right? So everything he learned last year, if if they and I haven't I haven't done a deep enough dive to figure out like did they change his pitch mix? Did they change a grip? Did they do like what exactly they do? But like if they told him to do one thing slightly differently, he gets he can remember that, right? He, if he had gone to, you know, anywhere, he'd gone to the the Jays or the Mariners or something like he still remembers that. On the other hand, like the Giants pitch or coaching staff, their pitching coaches, they're even there on the hitting side too. Like they've clearly got some stuff figured out in terms of how to work with some of these veterans to help them sort of unlock their, their best. And so the fact that he stays there does two things. One, maybe they worked with him on one thing last year and they've got a second thing they're going to work on this off season. Maybe can't predict that. But secondly, if stuff starts to go wrong, right? If he gets to spring training and something's off, I have a lot of faith in the Giants staff, more so than I would in most other teams, to to diagnose and fix the problem. And so that's that's where the advantage of staying there is. And I do think like I, I am less excited about Kevin Gaussman than I would have been had he stayed. Okay. And 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 that's fair. And then you obviously would have had to pay a lot more for Kevin Gaussman, particularly right. if he stayed in San Francisco. I don't know how in on him I'm gonna be in Toronto, but that's a conversation just- for another day. You're just taking a bigger risk on him, right? Like you're going to yeah. spend 20, 25 bucks, whatever it is to get Kevin Gaussman. And so he has to, he like the stuff he picked up in San Francisco has to stick right. or else there's some risk there. Like if Alex Wood regresses a decent amount, I'm still probably getting $4 of value out of him. Yeah, you definitely are. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of baffled looking at the numbers because his pitch mix, first of all, has not changed like at all, and neither really did his velocity. And actually, his spin rate, which we can't really hold him accountable for because this is kind of the case across baseball, but his spin rate did go down as well. So something was just clicking in San Francisco. I think at this point, like I, I don't know how much, how high of a ceiling I really expect from Alex Wood. I think last year may have been his ceiling, but if if that's closer to who he is now then $4 by far is a, is a slam dunk. And the other player that you grabbed there that you brought up is Anil Cruz. And it really caught my attention. $8, first of all, kind of caught my attention for him. Uh, and then you said he he's like a, you, he could be a $15 player. And I'm not saying I disagree, actually. I think you know pretty well that I, I love Anil Cruz. But I just figured when you said that, I was like, oh, maybe there's something in the, in the, the plate discipline that I'm missing or something like that. And so I went to his two most um volume heavy seasons in the minor leagues and i'm just seeing a walk rate of like seven and a half percent i he obviously grades out well and to be fair you said this yourself you're not expecting you know maybe he's not a 15 dollars player his first year next year right but this is not new so you'd be able to keep him long term for not that much money just what, what are you seeing there for on your cruise and going into this if this was a real league what would be a realistic expectation for this player yeah so I, th- there's a couple of things that that stand out with him uh, the first one is he had very, very limited 
major league time last year, right? He got nine plate appearances. He had five batted ball events. Now, his average exit velocity on those five batted ball events is 100.6. That's that's great, but it's only five batted ball events. However, his max EV was 118.2, right? And there is no small sample size caveat on a max EV, right? Because it's just it's just your your best. So you could have a thousand plate appearances, you could have one plate appearance. It's still just your your best of that. Um, and so when somebody hits a ball that hard <laughs> that early in their major league career, like I mean, he had five batted ball events. Four of them were hard hit by Stat Statcast. So like the guy hits the ball hard, and, and I think even after just five plate appearances, we can somewhat confidently say that it it was true in his minor league career, and a, a max EV that high makes it probably true in his major league career. The other thing that stands out to hit with him for me, um, and you're gonna you guys are gonna hear me a lot over the offseason talk about projections, and the reason I talk about projections so much is I I firmly believe that the computers are better at figuring out what a guy is going to do than I am. They are capable of taking in more data points and thinking through those data points or analyzing those data points in a, a more robust way. There are cases where humans are aware of things and are capable of handling things that the computers can't. But for a guy like Cruz, where it's like, I don't have a lot of track record. All I can do is sort of look at his minor league numbers and try to interpret what those would look like. I don't know anything about the minor league environments he was playing in. The fact that Steamer is spitting out a 354 Woba for him, 335 on base, 498 slugging. Um, it is expecting a 21.2% strikeout rate, which would be uh, a bit worse than he was in AAA, a little bit better, though, actually, than he was in AA. Like, there is something that, that Steamer is seeing that is standing out. And I don't know exactly what it is. Um, but it, but I see a bunch of stuff I like. I see a guy whose plate discipline isn't great, but isn't bad and still has time to improve on that. I see a guy who hits the ball super, super hard, which is valuable. I see a guy who plays shortstop, which means the bar for his offense isn't that high right away. Um, and then I look and realize that like, that's not just me projecting like steamer is even higher on him. Right. So if I go, if I go to the steamer projections at fan graphs and I sort shortstops by projected Woba. You got Tatis at 392, Corey Seager at 372, Carlos Correa at 367, Bo Bichette at 347 or 357. And then your number five shortstops tied Xander Bogarts and O'Neill Cruz at 354. Now, projections remember there's gonna be a heavy dose of regression to the mean they are almost always conservative on breakout guys because look Cruz could also fall completely on his face and the the projection is going to take that into account I'm just I'm just blown away by that I'm legitimately just blown away by that and so that in and of itself like that like if you're if you're creating values off of projections you're going to come away with a very similar value. O'Neill Cruz doesn't project for as many plate appearances or as many games as as Bogarts, but he's going to come away with a very similar per game projection as Xander Bogarts. And I got it for 8 bucks. There's a lot more risk than Bogarts. I'm not saying you should pay the same price for O'Neill Cruz as you do for Bogarts, but that's the projection. 
it's it's so this is the crazy i'm so glad you pointed this out and you're going to hear us reference steamer a lot because i mean first of all it's the only projection system we have to work with at the moment zips hasn't come out and the bat and all that um atc so on and so forth but like (laughs) chad we could spend a whole episode on this particular player steamer projections because first of all 110 games why uh, roster resource currently projects him to be their starting shortstop. I don't anticipate them making some giant signing. I think he's hyped up enough and they called him up enough. I mean, it, to be fair, roster resource does have him in a platoon with Kevin Newman. <laughs> I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to be a thing. And so then I say, okay, only 110 games, but they project him for 20 homers in 110 games. That's 118.2 max exit velocity. <laughs> Right, you get a lot of home runs when you hit the ball that hard. I, I guess, right? I mean, I, that ended up. By the way, that was, I, I had to look it up. That was a single off Luis Sessa. Um, his home run came off of another another pitch. But I mean, 118 miles an hour is 118 miles an hour. And then the other thing, not that these are fantasy related stats, but in 110 games, they project him to be a three win player with a 122 WRC plus. So you're right. This this steamer projection is absolutely fascinating. I would love to know what they're seeing that that the rest of us might be missing i mean i always knew i'd be in on this player i saw the eight dollars i was like wow chad is super in on this guy but based on steamer you got one of the best bargains of the auction yeah and i my guess on the 110 games is that it's a little bit of a hedge that like he may need some time in the minors they may take it easy on him like maybe he's in a platoon just because they want to like not because they need to get kevin newman at bats but because they want to give him a few more days off they want to have him they want to protect him against hard you know tougher pitchers like who knows who knows? Sure. But yeah, I mean, I think for sure there's upside, there's upside beyond this projection because if you just dump in the extra, you know, 40 games, he could very easily play and give him another 150 plate appearances. He's going to be pushing 30 home runs as a shortstop. And so I'm, you know, there's a lot of risk here, right? Like I said, I, you know, I've got him and McNeil. I've got them for $14 combined. I think there's a very good chance that that at least one of them fails to live up to even the $6 I spent on McNeil or the $8 I spent on Cruz. I'm not banking on either of them. I just believe that between the two of them, I'm going to get I'm going to get my value. So your other option is McNeil, and I imagine that Jeff McNeil in a format like this, not that we need to spend too much time on Jeff McNeil, but like I mean, the points per game on McNeil, what are you realistically expecting? Like, what's his most likely outcome for Fangraph's odd new points? Because he just, to me, doesn't profile as the type of guy that's going to be a stud. Like, I feel last year when I had Adam Frazier during his hot streak that that might be, like, peak Jeff McNeil. And if so, that's that's a that's a great player. He was very useful for me until he got traded. But between Anil Cruz and, and Jeff McNeil, I could see there being a little bit of risk there. Is that something that you're anticipating or are you are you kind of bullish on McNeil? So I am anticipating some risk there, which is why I got both of them, right? I think that I'm, I'm hedging a little bit by having two options. McNeil, I mean, so if you go back and look at McNeil's points per game over his career, uh, 2018, 63 games, 248 plate appearances, he was 5.7, 5.57 points per game. 2019, 133 games, 567 plate appearances, his his biggest season to date. He was 6.69 points per game. 2020, the shortened season, he was at 5.34. And then he obviously fell off the face of the earth this year. He was at 3.39, had a really, really bad season. But if you go back and look at those three seasons before that, and you sort of feel like, okay, he's going to sort of get back to something around those three, right? Maybe he's not going to hit the 6.69 he hit in 
in 2019, but he could easily be a five and a half point per game player. Um, and I, you know, I think when he is on, right, we, we, we know that McNeil has strong on base skills, right? I mean, again, last year was a disaster, but before that 381, 384, 383 on base percentages over a three year period, he's going to get on base. Um, when he is at his best, he, he hits the ball hard often. Like he, he, he doesn't have the max exit velocity of, uh, of an O'Neill Cruz, we'll say, but he taps into his power pretty well. He pulls the ball for power a decent amount. And so he hits for more power than you expect. And so like, I, I don't think that, uh, Frazier is really a great comp for him. I think he has better on base skills than Frazier and he taps into his power more often than Frazier does. And so uh, I think I think there's a lot more there. I think, you know, McNeil, if he returns to what he was like before this past season, he's a he could be a $15, $20 guy, which is why I think that, you know, this this is where I'm getting this idea that like I spent $14 on Cruz and McNeil. And if Cruz makes his projection or McNeil sort of returns to form. If either one of those two things happens, I'll have a $15 middle infielder between the two of them. And that's where I've sort of hedged between them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I, I do like both of those players. I just, when I look at Jeff McNeil, I think the, yes, historically speaking, he has a, a good OBP. I think that's kind of Babbitt driven. He's, he's, he's a below average, you know, Walker. Um, and you look at the career Babbitt's 359, 337, 335. And then last year it went down to 280. And ultimately we paid the price. To be fair, though, I think this is a guy who's also dealt with some injuries lately. And I I mean, last year, it was a little bit earlier in the season, but didn't he run into the wall or something like that? And it just it it, it seemed like Jeff McNeil and the Mets as a whole really just couldn't get into a groove. And so I'd be willing to buy in on on the buy low there, especially considering you got him for six dollars. So I like that combination of players. Chad, is there anything else we want to touch upon here? Because if there is, it's looking at because we, we talked a little bit about first base last time. But you only got six dollars left over. You took some gambles in the outfield. So, I mean, what's your approach with the let's say we played this out, you've got $6, you've got this risky outfield, like what's your first move going forward? Yeah. So on that, on that outfield, I think, you know, I, at the top, I'm real happy with my outfield, a $38 Kyle Tucker, $17 Ryan Mountcastle, $18 Randy, a Rosarena. Really good with that. And then I've got Max Kepler and Jock Peterson are probably my next two outfielders. They're, they're $4 and $5. Like they're not expensive. Then it gets a little iffy. I got a $6 Connor Joe, who I really like, who projections really like. I've got a $4 Jesus Sanchez, who I think has a lot of upside. Uh, I have a $1 Brian De La Cruz, who was really good down the stretch last year. I've got a $1 Kyle Isbell, who I, I think could be quite good. There's just a lot of risk in that outfield. And I wish I had had money available to go get like one more solid outfielder. And I, I think... In the in the chat that we've got going about this mock draft, one of the questions we got from from Adam Howe, and we have to answer this because Adam Howe is the manager of the podcast network, and so if we don't answer his questions, we get fired. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> one of the questions that Adam Howe asked was, you know, what what's the um, the balance on your bench of how you, you know, you got forty roster spots and you get to you get to take some gambles, like. I think I took too many gambles on my bench in my outfield and didn't get enough sort of just floor guys who I could 
going to play 150 games, give me decent enough numbers, and I can just plug them in and be done. Uh, and so, like, there is a possibility that, like, Kepler gets his, you know, gets back to the power he showed in the past, that Peterson becomes a platoon monster like he was in the past, that Connor Joe, you know, picks up where he left off and terrorizes Coors Field. And all of a sudden, my outfield's real strong. There's also a possibility where I have three outfielders and then I'm, I have nothing. And so I think one of the first things I would be doing, the first thing I'm going to do is watch what those guys are doing early on and then pretty quickly want to make a move to strengthen my outfield if I, if I have the opportunity. No, that makes sense. I mean, in your defense, I actually, I, I actually like it. I mean, I think having Connor Joe as a sixth outfielder is, is pretty decent depth for this because something you said earlier is it's it, you didn't find that safe floor for your bench. I just found that hard to do in general in this in this auction. I mean, these rosters are so deep. Um, and I definitely lack a floor for my bench, but it's not really something that came across my radar because I wasn't I don't know what a realistic expectation is for a a decent floor for your bench in this kind of format. It just felt like it was so deep. And whenever a guy came up that I was like, oh, that would be nice to have that guy on my bench just sort of as a backup, he ended up being someone else's starter. And so I it was almost this constant battle of, you know, I ended up with and I don't want to, you know, start transitioning to my team, but like Luke Voigt on my bench was with somebody. Let's do it. Let's start talking about your team. Sure. Yeah, let, let's let's jump in. So um I was pleased with how it went. Uh, I ended up with $10 left over, which, you know, I tweeted about this. I wish I spent some of that in my own outfield, which I think we're noticing a trend here, Chad. This might be a conversation for later, but like outfield is thin (laughs) for a five outfield league. Outfield is thin. It just is. It gets to a point where it's it's you are you're you're hoping Connor Joe breaks out or in my case, you're hoping Kevin Biggio um, reemerges as a viable candidate. But I was pretty happy with that ended up. I ended up with some decent values. I'm kind of hoping for an Eugenio Suarez bounce back here, spending $6 on him, but I thought he was a pretty flexible um, option for my bench with both third base and shortstop. I mean, bottom line, I went out to get the guys that I wanted. Like I got my targets. I got Vlad. I got DJ LeMayhew. I got Luis Robert. Um, and I was pretty pleased with how it went. I was curious your thoughts though, Chad, being the new expert in the room. So I, I think before we dive into the players, I, I do have some, some, some I, I questions for you and some comments on, on your team. Um, the $10, I understand you saying you wish you had spent a little more, but like, you know, one of the other questions we got in that, that conversation was from Mark McElroy, who was on the show a few weeks ago. Um, and he was asking about like, what is the right amount of cash to have left over? And I, I kind of think you may have threaded the needle here with that 10 bucks, because I'm looking at what, what happened and I had $6 left over. There's another team with three, two more with one, and two with zero. Oh, and a team with two. So so more than half the league is at $6 or less. Then we have three teams or four teams that have 25, 31, 43, and $52 left over. Like maybe that $25 is, is a decent number to be at. But I think one of the challenges in a first-year league is that you – like everybody's out there. Every player is a free agent. You can go get anyone. And so, and you have no values stash up, right? So in, in year five of a league where you've been building up prospects over the years, you've got some good breakout players from over the years. Like, I think it's okay to leave 20, 25 bucks on the table because you've got $400 of value on your roster anyways. And then that 20 or $25 gives you flexibility in the season to make moves and to find more values and to continue to build. In a first year league, if you want to compete, like I'm not sure you can leave 25, 30 bucks on the table. I think you're just leaving too much out there. But 
I don't know. I like. I wish I had more than six dollars left over, right? Because someone is going to like some pitcher is gonna gonna add two miles per hour of velocity, and we're gonna find out on March first. Some hitter is going to suddenly emerge as the starting left fielder for their team when we didn't. You know, here's an example. One of the guys that I know didn't get drafted here, but Isaac Paredes is. Uh, a favorite of Justin Vibbers. He's liked him for a long time. Stats are really interesting on the guy. He has no job in Detroit. And so I sort of think he's more of a watch list guy. If the first week of spring training, all of a sudden he's showing up in left field for games or they trade away Jonathan Scope or Miggy randomly retires or, or something and there's time for him, like you're going to be real happy you have 10 bucks to spend to go grab a guy like that. And you're going to be, but you've done a nice job of not leaving yourself with, you know, we're going to talk about Dave Swan's team a little later. He has $52. Now, if he, if that happens and he wants Isaac Paredes, he can outbid everybody, which is great, but you don't really want to spend 15 bucks on Isaac Paredes anyway. So it doesn't help you that much to have $52 to spend instead of 10. And in the meantime, you you've left a lot, like, that's a star player, right? That's a that is a star player not on your roster. So I think you did a nice job with that ten dollars being left over. And, and I think part of the way you did that was like I was trying to figure out like who would I call sort of the single best value on your team. And I had a really hard time saying who the single best value was because I think you did a really nice job of finding a large number of low price good values. And so like some of the guys who who stand out to me, like I think Chris Paddock at $4 is a real nice buy low. I think there's a good chance he bounces back. I think Chad Green at $3, like it seems silly to talk about sort of a non-closer relief pitcher, especially given like anyone who followed that Twitter thread I was doing knows that like I don't like spending on relievers, but that's because I think you can get a value like Chad Green, right? He could be an elite reliever in this format uh, and you're paying almost nothing for him. Luke Voigt, I, you know, I talked about my issues that I felt like I overspent at first base. Like Luke Voigt's a really good example of where he's probably not going to be a $30 first baseman. He could, I don't think he's going to be, but for two bucks, that's a, that's a nice piece to have on your, on your roster. Um, and so I thought you did a really nice job with, with some guys like that. And I, I think also with your, your prospects, like Tristan Cassis for $2 could have a real impact on your team this year. Grayson Rodriguez for $2 is like, that's nonsense to me. He might be the best pitching prospect in baseball. And and I don't love spending a lot on pitching prospects, but I'm shocked he didn't go like Hunter Green went for five bucks. Like, I don't know why we're spending five bucks on Hunter Green when you can have Grayson. Like, so, and I think the reality is it's because you shouldn't be able to get Grayson Rodriguez for $2. And that's why I think that's a really nice value you picked up there. I was shocked to get him. I wonder how much of that is it's the Orioles, so people weren't really expecting him this year, which is totally fair. But And I found myself trying to balance when I was looking at the prospects, with the exception of Noelvi Marte, who was the last player I added to my roster. And I just I had 15 bucks. I was like, you know what? I really want this guy, so I'll get him for five, which felt like an overpay, but you know, we'll see. Um, but with in regards to the prospects, it was. It was like I, trying to this balance of managing the floor of my bench, which, you know, was something that I guess was in my mind, but once I got Suarez and a few other backup guys, I felt like maybe it's going to be okay. 
And then I don't want to spend too much for prospects who are not going to be here, right? Because this is something that you've been talking about since we started the pod, right? If they're, they're no help, if all of a sudden by the time they finally get called up, they're worth as, as much as you're paying for them, like you're looking to get ahead. And so I thought Rodriguez and, and Cassis in particular were, were good ones. I think honestly, the value I'm, I look at my bench and I think the value I'm actually most excited about might actually be Tristan McKenzie at $5. I, I think this is the benefit of him having such a rocky end to the season allowed me to get him for $5 as opposed to like 15, because kind of similar to Patrick Sandoval before his injury, these guys were looking like, like just t- straight up top 30 pitchers. I mean, like, like no question about it. In McKenzie's case, he actually has the pedigree and then it got rocky. Right. But for $5, it's like, it, to me, that's such a low price point to pay barely 1% of my roster for that kind of upside. I do think that was the player of my values on my bench that I was most excited to grab. Yeah, I think the reason I didn't include McKenzie in sort of the the list of best values is I, I think... I'm trying to think of the right way to say this and keeping in mind I'm, I'm a guardians fan right so like i love mckenzie i am very hopeful this guy's got like a cy young award in his future or something like that would be great i, I don't know that i think five dollars is a low like it's not a bad price there's nothing wrong with it but i don't think that it's a low price for what i think a reasonable expectation is like i i don't think like he's never thrown more than I think 140 innings in a calendar year. And so I don't think you're going to get more than, you know, the upside is 150, something like that. Um, he's had some control issues and and they've been pretty, they were pretty consistent last year in both AAA and the majors. He, they got better as the season went on, but he needs to, he needs to dial in his control more consistently. Uh, and so there's real risk here. Now, what I love about him at $5 versus like, like the advantage of him at $5 versus, um, I don't know, like Jordan Montgomery, who I got for four bucks, right? Let's, I think it's a pretty reasonable comparison. Neither guy, like they're both pretty young. M- Montgomery, I think, is much more likely to be useful. Like there is, or I should say, let me say this differently. McKenzie is more likely to completely bust. Like McKenzie is more likely to just really struggle with his control, not have any value at all because of that. However, if you told me that one of these guys is going for $30 next year, it's McKenzie. Like Montgomery's not getting there, but McKenzie could. If he if he starts to bring those walks down and keep those Ks up, like he's a stud in the making. So I love it from that perspective. It's a little bit high risk, high reward. And to be clear, when I say he's more likely to end up with $0 in value, I don't think that's a likely outcome for him. Like I don't think he's going to be worthless. I just think that that is more in his range of possibilities than it is for Montgomery. So that's, that's where I'm getting at. We're like, I don't necessarily think that you can sit here and say like, oh, he is definitely a $15 pitcher. And therefore at $5, he's a steal. I think it's like five to seven to $8 might be about the right place to pay for him. And you're getting $30 upside for that. Yeah, that's fair. And I I mean, McKenzie does kind of go against my MO. He's not a guy who really generates a lot of ground balls. And in particular, in this format, homers can be absolutely killer. And and certainly steamer does, is not favorable for for McKenzie. Um, but I'm looking at that small sample and, and, and trying to bank that. I do agree. Obviously, Montgomery, higher floor, but definitely McKenzie, the higher ceiling in a long-term league like this. Even if it takes McKenzie a full season to figure out 
who he's going to be as a pitcher and, and, and to maybe get the ball on the ground more, at least, you know, this is long term. So would I if McKenzie shows signs like he did last year, I'm going to be willing to pay seven dollars to hold on to him again um, sure. just because of that upside. Yeah, for sure. So the other thing I want to talk about in your team real quick before we before we jump probably to a break and then do another team. Uh, I want to talk sort of generally about your middle infield, because I think you took a lot of risk in your middle infield. Um, and some of those guys, I don't think like you, you basically you have five middle infielders, unless I'm missing someone, you have five primary middle infielders here. You've got DJ LeMayhew, Gavin Lux, Jazz Chisholm, Eugenio Suarez, and Fidel Bruyan. The last four of those guys, you know, we can, <laughs> we've talked about Chisholm plenty. The last four of those guys, I think everybody sort of understands the risk there, right? Like, they're either not very established or they're coming off a really bad year. They may have playing time questions. I, I want to talk about DJ LeMayhew, though, because I, I know you're a fan. I have been avoiding him this draft season. And the more I look at him, the more I'm like, I'm not sure I know why I'm avoiding him. So this is your opportunity. <laughs> Tell me why I should be buying in on DJ LeMayhew. Sure. So I went, I went on a bit of a rant about this um, on, on the corner when I talked about my mock draft for the pitcherless staff and, Um, I, we, sometimes the fantasy community reacts way too quickly when a guy who's a late breakout shows any, any sign of like going back to what we originally expected. Right. And so I think LeMahieu arrived in New York, became this MVP candidate. And in the back of everyone's mind, even the people that were taking him in like the third round last year, it was like, ah, is this real? And what we didn't account for is that like, He's just he first of all, you need volume with DJ LeMahieu and the volume's not going anywhere, but he really is in the perfect situation. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's in the perfect park. He's in an elite lineup. He's going to bat in the top third and he has amazing on base skills. So like it's almost frustrating to me when people bring up like, oh, he doesn't really hit the ball that hard or, you know, he's not a power guy that's okay. He can still be a very useful fantasy player. He's always been BABIP driven. If you look at his BABIP over his career as a career 340 BABIP guy, that went down to 301 last season. He was battling injury. No one knows how long, right? He he had uh, surgery for a hernia. And then I, I, I think he had something going on with his core. At no point was he ever himself last year. And neither were the Yankees. It was just kind of like this down season. And so I think people look at that and they say, all right, well, 2020 was shortened. 2019 was a fluke. And now he's just back to this guy who, you know, maybe took advantage of cores. He's 33 years old. This is the perfect time to buy. And the other thing I'll say about DJ LeMayhew, the position flexibility is huge this year. I mean, he he's going to be eligible at three different infield positions. Um, none of which are really all that deep, at least compared to where they've been historically. I'm all in on LeMahieu. I think as long as he's still, unless the Yankees make some crazy signing and, and they're kind of running out of time here, he's going to be in the top third of that lineup again. Volume's key for him. He's going to get those 600 plate appearances. He's going to bat a lot closer to 300 than he did this year, maybe eclipse it. I'm in. I mean, this is a guy who last year, I think was the, the highest steamer projected player in terms of batting average. Um, and, and we're just abandoning all of that because of a season that he batted 40 Babbitt points lower on. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And I, you know, when I looked at his season last year, it's like the thing that stands out is the, the 362 slugging like that. That is pretty low. And so I immediately was like, oh, I bet, you know, 33 is probably not hitting the ball as hard. Go look at his stat cast data and like technically his average exit velocity is down. It's at 90.6. It had been at 91.3, 91.9, 91.3 the years before that. Uh, his max exit velocity is 
but like that's down, but not a lot. His max exit velocity of 110.6 is actually higher than it was in 2020. He was at 111.1 in 2019, so not a whole lot higher. His barrel rate is higher than it was in 2020. His hard hit rate has been going down, but it went from 45.7 to 43.1. Like it's not a huge drop. And his X stats all suggest that he has more than he showed last year. Um, I, I still have some concerns because I think he'd been sort of outperforming his batted ball data for a while. And the fact that for one year he underperformed it, I think if it, if it normalizes, it's not going to go back to what he was in 2019, 2020, it's going to go to something in between, but there's a lot to like here. And I do think like we've talked about the fact that average, exit velocity was up last year. And so for a guy having his average exit velocity go down is a little bit more concerning than it normally would be, but it didn't go down a lot. Like I really expected to see some like massive, scary drops there and they just, they weren't. So I don't know. You you may have convinced me. I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking a lot closer at him in leagues where I need middle infield help uh, and, and a lot closer. Any leagues where I'm doing the auto new prestige league, the sort of like, you know, auto new wide best ball competition the fact that he plays three positions really boosts his value, especially like you're not using him at first base very often, but second base and third base are, are challenges, I think. And so I'm, I'm, I'm I am uh, tentatively putting a toe back in the water on DJ. <laughs> Just a, a couple of quick stats before we go to a break on him, because I'm kind of being all of a sudden entrenched as, as LeMahieu is my this year, Marcus Semien. Um, first of all, the, the whiff rate went up, right, from from the short in 2020. But remember, he was an MVP candidate. It went up to 14.4, but he's a career 14% whiff percentage guy. And that's that's still very low. Um, he was actually chasing less from that shortened sample size. And something that Nick brought up uh, that was a concern to him was the barrel percentage, right? He only barreled the ball 3.5% of the time, but that's still up from 2020. And if you're if you're drafting DJ LeMahieu for power because he had 26 homers in 2019, then you actually don't know why you're drafting DJ LeMahieu because he's not going to give you 26 homers. It's the volume. It's the on-base skills combined with the runs and the batting average, which are easily the two most overlooked offensive statistics in 5x5. Five five. So LeMahieu is going to win some leagues this year. I know it. But before we jump to our next team, and, and, and we got to move here, uh, which is Mark McElroy's. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, Chad. So we broke down the two best teams from this auction. I think you'd agree, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> that's a, that's what we do on the show, right? Is we just declare that our teams are the best. The yeah. nice thing is since we're not playing this out, having declared those teams the best, 
it's over. We tied. We've won the championship. And uh, we should probably just end that show now. There's nothing else to talk about. We've got the two best teams. Let's go get some trophies printed. And... <laughs> that's that's what real winners do. They, tr- they print their own trophies, right? That's right. Yeah. They declare themselves their winners on their po- own podcast and then make trophies. <laughs> they, they organize the whole things themselves. That's then right. on their own podcast, declare them. Very good. Okay. Yeah. There's lots of value in the podcast. There's no value in the mock draft. We just did it to make ourselves feel good. And I'm feeling pretty good. So <laughs> we, we should talk about the other teams. All right. So let's uh, let's jump to Mark's team here. Um. Something I noticed again, third straight team is is we could talk about the outfield, right? Um, and, and I mean, I don't, I, I want to talk kind of vaguely speaking, so I'm not going to bring up the specific names just yet. But you look up and down his roster, you see he spent on his rotation, he spent on his infield, and then we get to the outfield, which I'm convinced is getting thinner and thinner. I actually like the names there, and I know you know that I know that I like those teams. I mean, those names. Um, but overall, I think Mark spread out his money pretty well. He did end up leaving the draft with $31, which to me is way too much. Um, but it also kind of gets to the point I've noticed, Chad, that in these auctions, like you spend your money and then all of a sudden other people are in dollar days. And so you can get the guys that you like for cheaper. And so when you end up with $31, it's not like, you know, Mark or any of these other guys fell asleep at the wheel. Maybe they just were fine not having to spend more money on players. Yeah, I think the the mistake that you make that leaves you with this much money is not the second half of the draft. It's the first half. Yeah. Right. So the, the mistake that that I think and I'm going to put words into Mark's mouth here a little bit, but he he commented to me that he he wishes he'd spent more in the outfield. But I think the mistake he made isn't that he didn't get another, you know, five dollar outfielder or four dollar outfielder or something like that. The mistake he made is earlier in the draft, he could have spent 20 bucks, 25 bucks on a more established, closer to star level outfielder. And it would have really strengthened. So like just to look at who he has. You know, his outfield, he's got a $32 George Springer and then $7 Lourdes Gurriel Jr., $5 Anthony Santander, $4 Akil Badu, $6 Avisail Garcia. Like none of those are, none of those guys are bad. No, I have no issue with those guys. Um, his bench, he's got Lane Thomas, Andrew McCutcheon, Kyle Lewis, Rymel Tapia. Like again, nobody there that I'm like, yeah, why did, you know, why even roster this guy? However, I'm not sure he has a clear number two outfielder. Like I, I feel pretty good about Gurriel as my three. Um, and I think like Badu and Garcia and Santander, there's a four and a five between them, or maybe a four and a five. If you move them in and out, obviously El Garcia could be more than that. Gurriel could be more than that, but like it just gets dicey. And I think if you, he had gone out and paid, 25 bucks for I'm trying to think of some guys who went around that price. I think that's uh, the range that like, uh, uh, like I think Nick Castellanos might've been in that range. I think that um, Buxton Schwarber, was on the 21. Yeah. Like, and Buxton, obviously like, you know, let's, well, there, there's some risk of course sure. with Buxton, but um, I'm just pulling up now outfield Schwarber, eligible guys 24. who went in the mid twenties like a $20 Tyler O'Neill, who we're going to talk about a little later, a $25 Brian Reynolds, a $25 Eloy Jimenez, $23 Chris Bryant. Like there's a handful of guys out there that he could have added that would have been a much clearer upgrade to his outfield and still left him with five, six, seven bucks left over at the end of the draft. And so when you have that much money left over, it's usually not because you were like too stingy at the end. It's because you were too cautious at the beginning. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good way of looking at it. I mean, I, I kind of look at it as his second outfielder. If we're not going to count 
Kike Hernandez, which maybe we should because you could put Kike in the outfield and then his utility is Kibrian Hayes, so you could put him at third base. But even if we counted, I mean, Kike Hernandez is Kike Hernandez. Even if we counted Kike as his second outfielder, like there's a world in which his sixth outfielder being Andrew McCutcheon is arguably better than his second. And I think I'd want a little bit more at the top there, uh, like you said. So outfield is definitely uh, an area he 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 could have addressed, but it would have had to have been earlier in the draft. And again, to be fair, I I view my team as the same situation. Not to not to dive into that again, but like I I keep coming back to this outfield is thin, and so if you don't spend at the top and you don't get those guys, and and Mark was lucky that he 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 shelled out for George Springer, outfield in this format can get so so ugly. Um, but what else do do we got here on on Mark's team? I mean. You see a lot of risk in Springer. I think it was a necessary purchase given the state of his team. So, I mean, do we want to want to dive into some George Springer here? Yeah, I think we can dive into Springer. I do think it's a risk. Um, I am. I like Springer. I don't think he's a bad player by any means, but I I, I do see some some risk that he doesn't return the value that we'd like him to. And a big part of that is he's lacked playing time sort of on a consistent basis because of injuries and things like that. I mean, he only had 78 games this year. He played 51 in the shortened season, but again, 51, you're like, oh, he only missed nine games, but nine games is sort of a lot out of 60. 122 the year before that, 140, 140. Back in 2016, he played 162, but the year before that, he only played 102. And so... I just, uh, again, I, I think he's a real good player. I don't see a lot of risk in the talent. I, I just, I'm concerned about that playing time. And so, like, I, I put up a, uh, one of my articles on Pitcher List this week was on outfield busts. Um, and so you can go check out my that article. Springer is one of the names I mentioned there. And, you know, there are some concerns in the plate discipline stats. His chase rate's been moving up. Um, and he gets value from a bit from a high walk rate. And so it's a little, it makes me nervous to see that chase rate going up because if he loses that walk rate, it, it kind of, it kind of gets scary. Um, his ex Woba dropped pretty significantly this past year. It's nothing that makes me say like, Oh, he's, you know, his career's over. He's done, but he's, you know, 32 years old. He's got a history of injuries, which sometimes can make guys age a little faster than you'd like. And so those like those red flags, not red flags, those yellowish flags, <laughs> coupled with the injury history and the possibility that from a, a a volume perspective, he just doesn't provide what you want, are enough for me to balk at this price. So it's not a like, like I'm not going to sit here and tell you you shouldn't have George Springer on your roster. If you're if you're in a keeper league and you've got a cheap George Springer, right? You got a you got a twenty dollar George Springer, like good on you. That's awesome. Keep him. No question. You'll be very happy. I don't want to be spending 30 plus on him. And that's totally fair, especially when you consider the context of Mark's team, where if, if Springer does miss a month, Mark's outfield has the potential to really, really bottom out. Um, so if, if I was going to invest in just one superstar outfielder, I want something that's a little bit more reliable. But let's let's talk about the positives here. I feel like, you know, I don't want to be too hard here on Mark's team. I think it's a solid team. And, you know, you 
brought up in the notes the three dollar Trey Mancini that I think is awesome. I think in this format, depending on where he ends up, Andrew McCutcheon for three dollars is great. But Eliezer Hernandez at $2 is another value that I love. I think Mark really did a nice job with his bench here. So what stood out to you with the values of Mark's team? And it doesn't have to be bench, guys. I mean, if he got an expensive bargain, I mean, tell me about it. Yeah, I think the I think Mancini and Reese Hoskins as his first baseman, that's the value that stands out to me. He spent $17 on Hoskins. He spent $3 on Mancini. Now, this might be... I spent a decent chunk of this draft having buyer's remorse on having spent $81 between Freddie Freeman and and Matt Olson. We've talked about it on the show last time. I've talked about it already today. Um, And I'm not even unhappy with those values, but like, man, having, having Mancini and Hoskins for 20 bucks just feels awesome. (laughs) Like that, that's a really nice place to be. Uh, When I, when I look at, at Hoskins, I think he's just, I think he's just straight up undervalued. Like I, I think that he has good on base skills, good power, and should be going for more than seventeen dollars pretty pretty easily. Uh, and so I'm 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 real happy, real real happy if I'm Mark that I've got him as my starting first baseman. And then you take a look at at Mancini and like, man, Mancini. I mean, first of all, like just the story is great, right? The fact that he came back after missing 2020 after dealing with cancer and put up the season he put up, which was a solid season is great. Then you add in a couple of things that I think, and we may have talked about this before on the show, but a couple of things that stand out to me. One is he really faded as the season went on and there were sort of two windows that he struggled. One was late and one was sort of in the middle. In the middle of the season, we found out after the season that he had a uh, he had a, a, a recurrence scare with his cancer. It turned out to be nothing, um, but a I think a two week period or something where he like found out there might be an issue, underwent some testing, and then finally got his results. And he was awful for those two weeks. And like I know we like to put aside like oh well he wasn't actually hurt there was nothing physically wrong with him and I know we like to put aside the emotional side of things and the mental part of the game but like if I had just spent a year of my life fighting cancer and then in the middle of a baseball season someone said hey we got to check this out because you might have to do that again I would suck for two weeks right like that's a totally understandable thing I would suck at any job for two weeks if that was what was in the going on in my head. And then he bounced back and was super strong. And then he faded late and his second half wasn't nearly as good as his first. And I just wonder if he's just ran out of gas, which again, you spend a year fighting cancer and then try to come back and play baseball. Like it is understandable that after 130 games, you might be gassed. And so I'm really excited for him. He's healthy. He's got a full off season to get ready. He can put all this behind him and like, yeah, man, let's see what you can do. And I think that $3 is going to turn out to be a deal here. Uh, It's unfortunate that he's not outfield eligible anymore because he'd be real nice in that outfield if he were. But I I think he's going to, I think he's going to end up, you were talking before about the fact that he's got uh, Kike Hernandez in his, right now he's got Kike Hernandez at third base in his roster. He's got Key Brian Hayes at Util. He's got Mancini on the bench. I don't think that's how it's going to play out. I think before too long, Mancini's his util, Hoskins at first base, 
Hayes at third. And then I think Hernandez gets to be in his lineup every day, probably in the outfield because his, his middle infield of Albies, Bichette and Polanco, I really, really like, we haven't talked a lot about that, but like he's got Kike Hernandez as his fourth middle infielder and really has no room for him at middle infield, which is awesome. But that like, and then he gets a ton of flexibility because when he needs a middle infielder, he's got Kike ready to go and he moves McCutcheon into the outfield. And like, there's, there's a lot of really good flexibility there. And I think Mancini stepping in and moving Hayes back to third is going to, is going to make a big difference for him. Yeah. And I, I can't agree enough on Mancini in, in regards to Hoskins. I mean, I think he's a typical player who gets overlooked because the most, you know, the predominant format that people play is, is, is five by five Roto. And he has more value in a point setting similar to this one, Mancini. It's worth reminding everybody that before, before the cancer, in 2019, and you could say it was a little Babbitt driven, but we're talking about an 899 OPS with 35 homers and 97 RBI. He comes back last year, looks like he's close to a somewhat similar pace, and then what you said happened happened. So three dollars, I mean, that's that's a pretty awesome bargain there. So I think it's time to transition now to Adam's team. We got to get the boss man in. Um, Adam Howe ended up definitely with uh, his favorite target there in Tyler O'Neill, but there's certainly a lot to break down with this team. First of all, he was another one of the guys that left the draft with or the auction with a ton of money, $25 left over, which was only the fourth most. Um, but there were th- those top four teams definitely had a lot more money left over than the others. So let's start with best value. You wrote maybe O'Neill. Um, we could definitely go down the Tyler O'Neill rabbit hole, but what were some of the values you saw here on Adam's team? Yeah, I, I want to talk O'Neill really, really quickly because uh, if there are any, if there's anyone out there who both listens to the show and reads what I write, they're very con- confused right now because in my outfield bust piece at Pitcherless this week, O'Neill was the first guy I listed as a bust, and now I'm here like, oh, O'Neill might be the best value on this team. Uh, it comes down to price, right? And that, and that, this is sleepers, bust, any of that stuff. It's always about price. And I think there is real risk of regression from O'Neill. Like, I, I don't think he's going to repeat what he did last year. Go read the article to find out why. I don't want to talk a lot about it right now. Um, but if he repeats what he did last year, he's like a $45 outfielder, not a $20 outfielder. And so at 20 bucks, I think that's like, that's awesome. I, I would just be, I'd be real happy if I were at Adam that, my guess is that Adam would have been happy going to 30 on O'Neill and he got him at 20. And so that's why I think that there, there's just a ton of value there. Um, I really like that. Yeah, that was definitely a great pick. I mean, something that sticks out to me, Chad, though, um, is Alec Manoa. I'm a huge Alec Manoa fan. I feel like he did nothing wrong last year. He dominated the minors, got called up, dominated the major leagues and the K rate, which I guess was kind of maybe what our concern was going to be by the end of the year was looking pretty good. He was striking guys out at a good clip. So Alec Manoa there at $15 definitely sticks out to me as, Oh, okay. I, I wish I, you know, I had $10 left over. I spent $9 on Tyler Molly. I wish I just spent you know, six or seven more dollars and outbid Adam for Alec Manoa. Do you have any thoughts there on Manoa? I, I don't have a lot to argue with in terms of him being a good value. I I'm uh any, anybody, any player, but particularly a pitcher going into their sophomore season. There's, you know, the risk that the league is adjusting to him. There's more tape on him. They have a better understanding. Guys are going to start to see him the second time. Uh, He did get to 111.2 innings. He probably did see a number of guys the second time. 
Uh, I'd be curious to sort of dig in and see if people perform better against him the second time. He also, like the FIP, the Sierra, the XFIP are all more like high threes. The XFIP is actually 4.17. It's so, like that 3.22 ERA is a little misleading. So I I think that that $15 is going to look really good in a couple years, right? I, I think that he is still developing. I think he still may have another level of of performance in there that that's possible for him. And so I think there's a good, but I just don't know if he's going to hit it this year. And I think if he, I think if he repeats what he did last year, which would be a good outcome, um, I think this $15 is more like the right value than a great value. If that makes sense. No, that does, you know, with, it's always hard with young starting pitchers and if this is a little bit of recency bias, but the way he closed out the season when Toronto really needed him, I mean, this, this was a tight race and he was kind of holding down the ship. His game logs, last four games, rate against the Rays in, uh, it was at Toronto. It was at Toronto. Eight innings pitched, one hit, 10 strikeouts. Then he got the Rays again. Team with the best record in the American League, if I remember correctly. Six innings pitched, two earned runs, seven strikeouts. He did walk six there, but that's 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 a conversation for another day. Kind of an outlier there. Uh, then he took on the Twins, five and two-thirds, so one out away from a quality start, two in runs, eight strikeouts, and then finally ending the season against the Orioles, seven innings, one hit, one hit, one walk, 10 strikeouts. So I, maybe that's just what's sticking out in my head, but I see that kind of development, and I, I, I'm ready. I'm, I'm all in on Alec Mano. I thought it was a good value. Those Over those four starts, he had a 2.61 FIP, 3.64 XX FIP, so real improvement from where he was earlier, which is is a great sign. Um, I, yeah, I, I love Manoa. Um, I actually think like spending $15 on a pitcher who's only got a hundred year, hundred innings of major league experience is always risky to me, but if I was going to do it, man, oh man, he's the guy to do it on the mountain. He fits the profile. So things that, that stick out to me in, in regards to Adam's team that I'm not a huge fan of, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Chad. I actually don't think he really overpaid on much. I, I'll never roster Javier Baez, but it, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, go crazy. $15 isn't going to destroy you. But I don't. I look at his bench, Chad. It, is the floor way too low? I mean, I feel like this has to be the lowest floor of any, any bench in the league. <laughs> uh, I think that's possible. He's got some super interesting prospects right he's got nolan gorman riley green george kirby bryson stott uh juan yepes drew waters alec thomas um i think i covered all of them but uh (laughs) part of the so that's the number one issue is like that's too long a list that's just too many prospects and yes i do think there's a good chance a bunch of those guys are going to contribute this year and maybe contribute early and like my analysis of that really changes if we if this draft were in March and Gorman looked like he was going to be the starting second baseman for the cards and Green looked like he was going to be up by the end of April and Kirby looked like he might break into the merit. Like there's a there's a long list of like maybe, maybe, maybe that would make this list feel very different. Um, but that is a lot of guys you might get no value from for most, if not all this season. And even if they get into the lineup, they're risky because we don't know what they're going to do or what they're capable of. So I, I think there's a lot of risk from that perspective. And, and then that that therefore lowers the floor quite a bit, right? Because then you're, you've got like, you know, Paven Smith is, Paven Smith and Yandy Diaz are maybe his best bench bats, 
Right. Because all of his other bench bats are are prospects. I mean, I'm looking, he's got, you know, Tyler Stevenson is his backup catcher, which is great. I love that. He's got Sal Perez, but then he's got Stevenson behind him. Awesome. Uh, his only other bench bat, I think, unless I'm missing someone, is Jonathan VR. And like VR and Yandy Diaz and Tyler Stevenson and Paven Smith is like, that's not sufficient. Uh, I think there's just, now, Maybe he was focused on playing for the future. I don't know. Um, that's just It just doesn't feel like enough to me. If it was the future, I mean, then it's tough because he spent a lot of money on Sal Perez, Marcus Semien, Starling Marte, Whit Merrifield, guys who are, you know, obviously heading towards the end. And it sounds like it being hard. Actually, you know, I, I kind of like Adam Steam here, but I think clearly the money went either unspent or in that lineup. And so I saw that bench and that definitely stuck out. Was there anything you, Chad, that stuck out as like a, an overpay or something you're not a fan of? Yeah, I'm I'm not a huge Whit Merrifield fan. Um, I think that he's I commented in my my extended Twitter thread that Adam really wanted this to be five by five <laughs> because <laughs> he he had he had Merrifield, he added Starling Marte. Um and I actually think Marte is a, a perfectly reasonable buy in this format. But like Merrifield last year was at 4.91 points per game. He was better than that before that. He was at 5.43 the year before, 5.92 before that. I I just don't... The the skills that he relies on, which are speed and singles, basically, um, don't translate to a lot of value in this format. So I just don't love him in this format. And, And on top of that, when I look at at the roster that was built here, like he spent at middle infield, which we've talked about before. I love spending at middle infield, but he spent 33 on Simeon, 21 on story, 15 on Javi Baez. Then he's got $16 Merrifield who he basically has to put into his outfield. He's got a $3 Adalberto Mondesi who I guess (laughs) is his util or something. He's got Eduardo Escobar as his first baseman. Right. And so like, that's what stands out to me is like, he spent so much at, at on middle infield eligible players in like his Escobar could be his second baseman, right? He could have not spent on bias, drop the 15 bucks on bias and go with Merrifield and Escobar as his middle infielders, or even go with Escobar and Mondesi as middle infielders and take the 16 he spent on Merrifield and the 15 he spent on bias and go get a first baseman other than Eduardo Escobar. It's like, I don't know. There's there's some trades he can make here, and maybe that's sort of in the back of his head is like, all right, I'm going to go trade a middle infielder for a first baseman. But like that Merrifield spend to me stands out as like he has a, he has a legitimate hole at first base, and he's got a thin bench, and he's got this like I, I think Merrifield might be his fifth middle infielder behind his three starters and Eduardo Escobar, and that's uh, that it just feels like a misallocation of resources to me. Sure. Yeah, no, that's fair. And and to be fair to Adam, he did bring up, you know, he could make a trade and that $35 or whatever it is left over is really going to help because that's going to allow him send out loans to teams. And, and all those, all those prospects he has, like he can, he can buy tomorrow, right? He could go out and trade those prospects and get a stud first baseman. I also, I think like he's got some really, really nice pieces here. I think he was smart to spend on Jose Ramirez. I think he was smart to send on middle, spend on middle infield. And then his outfield, like, Despite my risks of my concern about regression from O'Neill, like I said, I love a $20 O'Neill. I think Starling Marte at $16 is a nice value. And then Andrew Vaughn at $5, 
Like yeah, Andrew crazy. Vaughn made a jump from a ball to the majors and <laughs> held his own has the pedigree of a star. And like, that's a, that's a really nice play. And if you told me that Andrew Vaughn returned 20 bucks of value to him, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I, I, I have a hard time valuing say a Suzuki because right. it's hard to know what to expect of someone coming over from Japan. But I think a $12 bet on him when the upside seems to be real high is real nice. Like there's some really, really nice pieces here. It's just like, it's hard to look at this team and see it winning when he's got a strong rotation, a strong middle infield, some questions in the outfield and Eduardo Escobar is his first baseman. And like you, and you look no at Eduardo bench. Escobar at first base and you're like, and there's no bench. You're like, I just don't see the path forward. Um, he's got to get active on the trade market and the free agent, but he did set himself up, like you said, between the cash and the prospects to be active in those places. Absolutely. So let's, let's jump to Dave, the guy who stole my catcher, uh, Dave Swan. He's left over Chad with $52. What are your thoughts on Dave's team here? So Dave's team, I mean, to start with, I think like $52 is just, it's nice to have money, but that's, that's too much. Um, you know, he could have bought a $35 stud and still had the fourth most money left over. Right. So I, I just think that there there's, that's just too much to have left over. Um, I, I think I really, really like, and this is part of the reason he has so much money left over. I really, really like what Dave did at middle infield. He spent $3 in Jonathan scope, $12 in Willie Adamas, $4 on Colton Wong. And then on his bench, he's got a $3 Josh Rojas. He's got a cheap uh, Haseon Kim, a $3 Haseon Kim, who I think is going to be much better this year. And like those five players, and then he's got Ramon Urias behind them, but like those five players for like 20 bucks, 25 bucks, I can't, I'm, I'm having trouble with math. Uh, a small amount of money, like he could end up with a really, really strong middle infield, one of the better middle infields in this league with a lower price for the entire middle infield than I spent on my second baseman. That's, that's good work. The challenge is that to me, that should then set you up like, okay, if you think you can go cheap on middle infield and I'm not like, I think it's risky to go cheap on middle infield because there aren't a lot of good cheap middle infielders, but he, he handled it perfectly. But I think if you're going to do that, then take that savings and reinvest it in something other than free cash because he mostly just reinvested it in free cash. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, I agree. It's like he executed it perfectly. That was the first thing that stood out to me as I looked at his middle infield and I was like, that is dope. He has John Scope, Willie Adamas, who I love. I just couldn't go any higher at this point. And, I, and look who I was bidding against. I was bidding against somebody who, who had Fort Knox. Um, so I wasn't able to get Willie Adamas, who I know you're a fan of as well. And he was also able to bid me up on Kybert Ruiz. And that's part of the reason why I gave up there. My whole plan was, like, I, I don't like going cheap on catcher, but I really like Kybert Ruiz, particularly in a long-term setting. And, and it just got too high for, for comfort for me. So I ended up with Bart and those other guys. Uh, but I did think Dave did a nice job, and it just kind of hits the nail on the head, right? $52 is is just probably too much left over. Um, but the 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 bench, I think, is pretty strong. I think it does have a higher floor than what we were just talking about with um, with Adam. Obviously, the, the glass now bid aside so glass now chad that's a that's an easy cut to you so i don't know if it's an easy cut the challenge glass i was like he'll get added to the 60 day dl il he'll get added to the 60 day il pretty quickly once that happens he's a, he doesn't even take up a roster spot and given the 52 dollars that he has he doesn't need cash so there's not 
at this point, he might as well just sort of sit on glass now. I just think $10 is too much to spend on a pitcher who isn't going to pitch this year. And then when he comes back next year, you can sort of assume that he's going to spend a couple months struggling and getting himself back into peak form. Um, I, I don't know. It's just, it's too high a price for a stash at this point. Now, if, if he had, if we were in a, if it were April, not April, if we were March and we were in an auction and he was late in the auction with 50 bucks left over and was like, forget it. I'm just going to spend whatever it takes to get glass now. Maybe that doesn't matter at that point. But I think at the point he got him, it was just, it was just a little too much risk. But on the other hand, like, I do think his bench is strong. I think he's like, I think you're right about that. And I think his, his pitching, like there's some question marks in his pitching, but I really like the upside that he got. And so I, I think it's going to be, I think his team's in a good spot. I just wish he had that like one more stud player because he could have afforded it. And so it's sort of a, a shame not to have it. Um, but there isn't really anyone on this team that I look at other than Glass now and think like, yeah, what an overpay. That was a mistake. I agree. Uh, I didn't see a lot of overpays. I think the one thing that sticks out to me just because of the way I play is a $22 reliever. But if you're going to pay $22 for a reliever, it should be Hader or Hendricks in this case. It was Hendricks. So I think Dave did do a nice job, but just too much money left over. And, and Chad, I think, you know, going for an hour and 15 minutes here, I think that'll wrap up episode one of this two-part series we made it episode 40 keeper cut is on a roll here um once again thanks to all those who participated in this mock gave us a lot to think about a lot to discuss fortunately during this lull in our year uh don't forget that these results are linked in the episode description everyone i'll make sure that is there so you can see what was paid all these different rosters that we've talked about the ones we're yet to talk about please make sure to give us a follow at at keep or cut follow chad at, at chad young and check out his work at Fangraphs. Follow me at at Pete B Baseball. And Chad, I think that'll do that. So for Chad, I'm Pete. We'll see you in two weeks.